This is the origin story of the listener known as Seamus. A product of the 70s. A tough kid growing up on the gritty streets of Philadelphia. A true Irishman. Showtime. Welcome to Breaking Vinyl. I'm your host, Des, a.k.a. Johnny. 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 Fever. And as always, I'm joined by my three co-hosts. First up, the podcaster coming through in high fidelity. Evil Ed. Yo, what's up? And the podcaster playing the deep cuts. Dangerous Dave. Yep, yep, yep. Hello. And last but not least, the podcaster with a degree in rock and roll and a noisy laptop fan. Beaconstein. <laughs> I was just going to leave the fucking sniff. I think I might have to edit that. As always, the mission of this show is for us to introduce each other and you, the listeners, to the albums and bands which you may never have heard before, while also discussing the classics. And on occasion... We will ruthlessly insult each other's musical taste and haircuts. So sit back and enjoy the show. Tonight, we will be discussing what's going on. The 11th studio album by the late, great Marvin Gaye. Produced by the late, great Marvin Gaye. Released on May 21st of 1971 by Tamlo Records, Motown Records, subsidiary label. The album peaked at the number one spot on the Billboard Top Soul Albums and number three 1971 year-end chart performance on the Billboard Top Soul Album Chart. Woo! That was a mouthful. The band's lineup was as follows. Marvin Gaye, lead vocals. Marvin Gaye, Johnny Griffith, Earl Van Dyke, keyboards. Jack Broke Kenshaw, percussion. Joe Messina, Robert White, electric guitars. James Jamerson, bass guitar. Bob Babbitt, bass guitar. So they split tracks. Uh, James did one through six, and Bob did seven through ten. I did not listen to ten tracks, so I hope I listened to the same album as you guys. And uh, others, percussion, horn, strings, woodwinds and brass Whew, i didn't write any of that down did somebody go in and uh fuck with the script yep that was me okay. awesome thank you tune uh, it up I a also, little bit okay I, I love when you tune it up it definitely <laughs> makes the uh engine run better uh let's do some band facts on this one i have one interesting fact so this album almost never saw the light of day the quality control panel at Motown and the head of Motown were against what's going on right from the beginning. But one man, Harry Bulk, is responsible for the album ever seeing the light of day. One day, Bulk, an executive in the creative department, received a test pressing of what's going on by mistake while it was on its way to be heard by Motown's quality control department. Bulk fell in love with the song and was deeply disappointed when the company's Ears, I don't know if I got that right, said no to the track. The only other person at Motown who loved the song as much as Bulk was Stevie Wonder. 
and the song and the album were pushed through to massive fanfare. They loved it. So, uh, yeah, this was almost not out there. Dave, what do you got? Oh, I got a whole bunch here. Uh, right. What's going on stayed at the on the Billboard Top LPs for over a year and became Marvin Gaye's second number one album on Billboard's Soul LPs chart, where it stayed for nine weeks. Uh, for this album, Marvin became the first male solo artist to place three top ten singles on the Billboard Hot 100 from one album. And then the uh, song "What's Going On" was first recorded and released as a single, as as you said about uh, you know it sort of being slipped around the uh, powers that be at Motown. Uh, the rest of the album rhythm tracks were recorded in ten days and mixed in Detroit. The album was re- remixed in West Hollywood for the final result. Newer deluxe versions of the album include the original mixes as well as the standard version of the album. Nice. Um, Ed, what do you got on what's going on? Uh, I decided to focus more on Marvin Gaye. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so we started singing at the age of four, accompanied by his father on piano in church. Uh it's no secret how bad his home life was with his dad. Uh, it was very, very brutal and poor and just, I guess, honestly, kind of just a sign of the time back then because uh, a lot of people had lives like that. Uh, Gay was encouraged to pursue professional music career after a performance at a school play at the age of 11. He sang a song, uh, Mario Lanz's Be My Love which led to everyone kind of pushing him to that. Uh, In 1956, at the age of 17, he dropped out of high school and joined the Air Force, where uh, he quickly became frustrated and learned that he is never going to fix planes, uh, and not for his lack of ability. Uh, Gay received a general discharge uh, when he faked a mental illness, uh, which weirdly, and I don't know why, Made me go to uh, instantly made me think of uh, that TV show MASH and the movie MASH with uh, what's his name who always trying to get Klinger. out? Clinger, Clinger, yeah. <laughs> yeah, by trying to get out by saying he was crazy. Awesome. I don't know why that just that's where my mind went. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> he formed after that, he formed a vocal quartet called the Marquis and they began working with Bo Diddley. That was when Marvin started to compose music. Uh, after years with uh, them, they were eventually hired as employees by Moonglow's co-founder, Harvey Furqua. The quartet changed their name to Harvey in the Moonglows, where they found success after relocating to Chicago. Uh, they started to become session singers and worked with uh, great acts such as Chuck Berry. Nice. Nice. Fee, uh, what do you got on what's going on? Yeah, that's some pretty cool information. You know, like this dude earned his stripes for sure. You know, he went through it. Um, I kind of, you know, went down a couple of different roads on this. Surprise fun fact number one. Speaking of home life, he was shot by his dad a day before his 45th birthday in 1984. Fucking brutal. Fucking brutal, right? Um, What a dick. Uh, But this was also uh, Rolling Stones album of the year for what, what, you know, the year it came out, whatnot. But uh I thought that was cool. And after the release of this, I guess he signed a million dollar deal with Motown. And that was the most lucrative by a uh, black artist at the time, which is pretty cool. 
one more area I kind of looked into, and I don't know why I went here, but I looked up how many times he's been sampled because um, a lot of artists use samples of music and stuff. And uh, so this site had him at number 23, 1,316 times his, his music's been sampled with 893 covers and 25 remixes. So, wow. So, that's a lot. Wow. Yeah. I think 23. That was number 23. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how many people paid for it's, the sampling. It's got to be Queen right. has to be number one, right? I I didn't really go, you know, there. I was just looking up Marvin Gaye and just trying to get some fast facts on on him. And uh, and I was like, I know this guy's been sampled a ton, but I'm not, you know, not sure. And uh, sure enough, yeah, number 23. If I had Even, to guess, it would probably be James Brown. That was the number one. Hmm sampled mm, artists. Yeah. That would be a very good guess. Yeah. Vanilla yeah. Ice did not <laughs> not steal his beat from Queen, you know, because <laughs> Queen was do 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 and Vanilla Ice was do 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 So it was completely different. Completely original. Right. Okay. Um yeah, you know what's funny too? He's talking about how Marvin Gaye was in the uh, military first. That was kind of the same story as um Jimi Hendrix. Same idea. You know, wanted to have a military career and was playing acoustic in the barracks and stuff. And she was just like, fuck this. Sprain my ankle. I got to go home. Be a rock star. So good move. Uh, okay. Let's do some quick opening thoughts. So, of course, I have heard what's going on in Mercy, Mercy Me. But I mean, besides those two tracks, I think this is pretty much a fresh listen for me. I mean, I think we've all heard most of these tracks, but those are the only two that I really recognized when listening to this um dave you picked the album yeah yeah um yeah i did hear those tracks on the radio growing up um but you know a little more than 10 years ago i was looking to hear some new stuff you know soul music exploration and i wound up getting this uh no particular memories but i like the uh, laid-back jazzy vibe of it Looking further under the hood, you can uh, experience more of the great talent involved and the social messages contained within. Mm. Not to give away the bonus track, but it was funny because after listening to this, I listened to the bonus track immediately afterwards. And I was like, wow, you can really hear the influence of this bonus track from this album. But for me, it was like this album, but like on steroids, like with like a shot of whiskey and like a giant line of cocaine. But like exactly. Yeah, I was album. about to say it's all yep. cocaine version of this album. <laughs> but it's very similar. And I, and I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed both you know, not to give it away. Um, Ed, had you heard the album all the way through before preparing? I have, but I was very young. Um, so I didn't remember a lot of the tracks, obviously the two singles that are still on the radio to this day. Uh, but Dave, I am so glad you picked this album. It, it, to listen to it again as an adult is just, Oh, I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, Fee, had you listened to it all the way through? No, definitely not. You know, like you, I heard a couple of tracks that I knew pretty well, but other than that, no, I had uh, been meaning to listen to some Marvin Gaye a little bit after the, you know, the uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier at the end when he's in the hospital bed, you know, he's like, just listen to the trouble, man. <laughs> you know, they'll, that'll tell you everything you missed. And I was like, man, I got to listen to that then. So yeah, uh, still haven't done it, but on my way. Cool. Um, so this album, I mean, I'm just going to say this before we start breaking it down. This one for me was another one of those instances where I feel like I would enjoy it more in, in bursts, like listening to a track, listening to another track, listening to it all at once. It kind of started to just feel like 
one long song to me. Like, like from the first song to the second song, I was almost like, is this the same song? Like I literally checked, like, I'm like, did I go back and start the first song again? I'm like, Oh no, it's a new song. <laughs> I mean, it was a good song, but <laughs> yeah. Well, it also didn't help that there was literally no gap between songs after okay. the first, after song one to two, right. every yeah. song went right into the next song, yes. which I kind of liked. <laughs> that was done intentionally. That was done intentionally for oh, yeah. the yeah, you could ending tell. in the, you know, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it was you good. You tell by the music, yeah. I mm-hmm. felt like I was like stuck in an elevator on the love boat in 1971. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's get into this. So um, the Fast Five this week. I am actually going to run the same Fast Five for this podcast and for Hey, Did You Ever See That Movie? Because it was fun. So we um, broke down the 1983 movie Bad Boys with Sean Penn. Awesome movie. Yes, yes, awesome movie. So you've all seen it. Fee, you've seen it. Dave, you've seen it. I, I don't remember. It's been a long time. If I have, but you have seen the pillowcase scene where Sean Penn goes was, yeah. goes to town on Tweety and Viking with a pillowcase full of yes. fucking cans of soda. Sure. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I okay. know what you're talking well, about. If you haven't, yeah. YouTube it because it's fucking great. So mm-hmm. this is going to be the fast uh, the fast five. Um, <clears throat> 1983 Bad Boys. Which can? of soda hits harder okay which can hits harder number one coke or pepsi dave what can hits harder pepsi okay feet shocking as dave chugs his mountain dew that he's going with the pepsi planet. <laughs> that's right um, yeah. uh, I, I, i'm a coke guy <laughs> okay and ed i prefer pepsi okay the correct answer is coke because it goes great with yeah. Jack Daniels. Okay. <laughs> Number two, Orange Crush or Grape Crush. Dave, which crush do you like better? Grape. <laughs> and V. Grape. And Ed. Oh, you're killing me with this. Yeah. I, I go between Grape and Orange Crush all the time. Actually, to be more specific, I this is where I switch to Coke products and go to Fanta. Grape okay. or Fanta Orange. I drink Fanta Orange more than grape. I it I just find grape to be a little too sweet, so I get to be in the mood for it. Yes. Uh, and for that exact reason, the correct answer is orange. Grape is a little too sweet. <laughs> okay, but I do enjoy it from time to time. I don't drink soda ever, but I used to. Number three, Dr. Pepper or A&W Root Beer. Dave, which is better? Which hits harder? Mm, they're both good. Uh, Doc Pepper. <laughs> Feet. A&W from the tap. Good stuff. Ed. Yeah, root beer all the way. Cherry soda is, oof, that is, you want to talk about sweet and tough. Oh. Uh, it's Dr. Pepper. It's not cherry soda. It's the same thing. There's no cherry in it at all. The correct know, answer is But it tastes Dr. like Pepper fucking cherry coke so shut the fuck up <laughs> that's the correct answer is which dr. means pepper. they're both gross no gross dr pepper's awesome okay uh number four i don't even need to ask dave this but we will anyway mountain dew or cherry coke i picked the two sweetest sodas i could think of yep going with the dew okay going with the dew and feet oh it depends on my mood but mostly mostly the dew yeah okay and ed yeah the dew 
Yeah, I love to do with a slice of pizza. Like, if I'm going to crack open a soda, it's going to be with a pizza, and it's going to be Mountain Dew, because it just washes that salty, cheesy grease right down. Correct answer, Mountain Dew. <laughs> Number five, Sprite or 7-Up. The two healthy sodas, the clear <laughs> sodas. Dave, which one? Oof. Um, guess 7-Up. And feet. Yeah, 7-Up goes a bit better with the whiskey. Okay, and Ed. I prefer Sprite. Uh, the correct answer is 7-Up because I'm feeling 7-Up. Okay, there you go. All right, guys, uh, let's take a moment to welcome our new listeners in the great country of Turkey. Thank you for listening to the show. We appreciate you like we appreciate all of our listeners. Welcome to the Breaking Vinyl family. It's very Hello. dysfunctional. Hold on tight. Okay, um, let's break this album down. Track number one, What's Going On? So it's a little different than some of the other ones we break down. Like I had to actually try to look at this like a musician and not just be like, yeah, that shit's fucking rocks hard. Uh, we open with some smooth brass and you guys know I love smooth brass. And we get some very warm bass to go along with this smooth brass. Marvin delivers a smooth vocal. You see where we're going here? It's a very smooth album, okay? A very smooth vocal with some very inspiring lyrics. Um, we get some 70s disco synth, which we're going to get all over this album. Dressed with some tight finger snaps, followed by some sweet street talking ambience. It's a fucking cool track, man. What's going on? Dave, talk about it. All right. Uh, Ronaldo Opie... Obi, excuse me, Benson of the Four Tops originally began uh, writing this song after witnessing police manhandle and arrest several young anti-war protesters in San Francisco. Uh, it was turned down by his own group, and he brought it to uh, Marvin, who provided some additional work on the song, and then eventually he you know, recorded it. Uh, bassist James Jamerson recorded his parts laying on his back after having played at a local club that night and being too loaded to sit upright. <laughs> uh, he told his wife when he got home uh, that it was going to be a masterpiece and a classic, and he was right. Uh, the doubled lead vocals happened by chance when Marvin gated two takes and wanted to hear the results. The engineer ran off a copy that had the music in the center. And one uh, take of the vocal on each side to be able to compare. Um, Marvin loved the sound and used it purposefully throughout the album. And let's see what else I have. The alto sax riff was uh, the first and only take uh, by musician Eli Fontaine. He was noodling around in the studio warming up. He signaled to the recording booth that he was ready to go, and they told him he was done. Uh, he was, uh, let me see, he, he protested and just saying he was goofing around, but uh, Marvin Gaye told him, you goof around exquisitely. <laughs> and that, that was the beginning of the song right there. Uh, so we start off with some street chatter provided by some of the band and a few of Marvin's football player buddies. Uh, starts right into the vocal. He does some scat singing in the musical interlude. The lyrics plead for love and understanding in a time of turmoil. 
and the eerily prophetic lyric, Father, Father, we don't need to escalate. War is not the answer, for only love can conquer hate, foreshadows his real-life death. Woo! Wow. Yep, that's a lot. So did you like the track? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I couldn't help myself. Um, Okay, he liked it. Ed, what do you got on this track? Oh, my God. That was fantastic, Dave. That was really good shit. Yeah, for sure. uh, To uh, Jim Jamerson or Jimmy Jamerson, (laughs) I have totally been there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Totally been there. Yeah, on my back, playing bass. Uh, Unfortunately, it wasn't recording. It was live. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, listen, things happen. Ah, this song, what a fucking song. This is smooth, emotional, and sexy as shit. The percussion and bass are sweet as honey. It is like a next-level groove. Uh, The lyrics and melody absolutely flow over the very active bass and percussion. And the fact that there is all the background talking really sets the song apart. I feel the background talking adds a personal touch to the song, as if you're part of the group conversation, standing around, just hanging out, listening to Marvin sing this amazing story of like what's happening in the U.S. at that time. It's just so good. The production is so full, yet crystal clear. I think it's one of the most amazing songs ever recorded. Yeah, yeah. some good stuff, dude. I really like that street ambiance, too. Get a little of that in a couple of Rolling Stones songs, which I also really enjoy. Just totally, cool. totally. Shows the uh, the influence, you know, Marvin had on everybody, really. Uh, Fee, what you think of the song? Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, it's a playlist song. Um, I, I, I don't really have a lot to say because I think you guys kind of capture everything pretty well. Um, but it's just kind of amazing how you can, you know, capture that political protest type message and not be a fucking prick about it. You know what I mean? Like, and, and just kind of, you know, I, I don't know. I, I kind of, that's, I kind of enjoyed this album a lot for that. Like you don't have to be screaming about it. You just have to like, look, this is what's going on. Yeah. yeah. This is when we, we woke people were saying, <laughs> yeah, right. Like right. it wasn't exactly. shouting at you. It was like, <laughs> Hey, listen, shout with me. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Get uh catch more flies with honey, you know. But couldn't uh, agree yeah, more. Total, couldn't agree more. Total total playlist. There's a lot going on here. I love this song. Yeah. Uh and I'm gonna use the word sexy as well in some of my breakdowns because it is sexy and smooth, man. Oh, everything but, about yeah. this. This is like sexy, like date night with your girl, some wine, some candles, making love. Unlike Rick James, where it's like also sexy, but it's like you know, ankle handcuffed to the fucking wrist. Yeah, it's like filming a porno. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, number two. What's happening, brother? What's happening, brother? We get some, and you know, I'm going to try and make it different than the last one, but I really can't. We get some really nice brass again. And you guys know I love some smooth brass. We get a really nice drum track dressed with what I thought were a Congo drums. Dave? Congo? Probably or- Congo drums. Yeah, conga. Yeah, conga drums. Um, we get some bells and a ton of seventy synth, and we were gonna get these bells in my left ear here and there throughout the album. I thought it was really cool. I really hadn't heard that a lot 
or maybe ever. I don't know. It was an interesting choice. And I, I always love stuff like that. And Marvin delivers a very loose vocal on this one. And again, you know, the lyrics, they're delivering a good message. I mean, it's, it's fucking, it's legit, man. It's fucking legit. Dave, what do you got? Yeah, the, what you're hearing that you think might be synth is actually real strings and voices. Get the fuck out here. of here. Are you shitting no, me? It, it's true. Uh, there, wow. There's one song where they use, and, and we'll talk about it, where they use a Mellotron. But for the most part, everything is real instruments on this. Uh, this has a similar laid back jazzy groove uh, to what's going on. This one deals with returning war veterans. Uh, was especially personal to Marvin since his brother Frankie fought in the Vietnam War. Uh, one source I read that he also had a cousin also named Marvin who was in the war and did not make it back. Hmm. Dave, I can't believe these are all I like, you know what it kind of reminded me of was some of the ambiance from like that Saturday Night Fever record for the, by the Bee Gees. Sure. The one that was, you know, for the soundtrack of the movie. It definitely had that sort of vibe to it from that synth angle. I mean, even though I'm learning now they're not synths, it really had that flavor for me. Uh, Ed, what you think? Yeah, this song opens and the groove is fantastic. I got to give it a little bit of a knock, though, because... Yeah, that is the groove is very similar to the course of what's going on. Yeah. Uh, but then the chords, like the song changes, the chords change, and you get the soft sweetness of the music in Marvin's voice comes through and absolutely takes you over. I just I fell in love with the song again after hearing it. Uh, the music during this period of time in the U.S. really meant something. And in my opinion, that's what makes this a great song. So far, these two songs do not disappoint. Yeah, Ed, this was back in the time where it was like people weren't just doing stuff to be noticed or be influencing or looking for a pat on the back. Like, he wrote this because he had yeah, to. Exactly. Even, even if it was never going to see the light of day, he was like, well, I had to write it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I get into a lot of deeper meaning stuff with my closing remarks because I, I think breaking down these songs you know in in the color that i do really made me realize what's missing in music today yeah you know and a lot of people now their opinions are shaped by facebook and social media and you know if they do have an original thought in their mind and it goes against the grain of what's popular they won't put it out there in fear of you know, being canceled or backlashed and yeah. or everyone that, saying you're wrong. I'm right. And there's no reason. I'm just saying you're wrong. Yeah. Kind of like know. me in the fast five. Yeah. Yeah. We can provide a thousand reasons why you're wrong. Yes. So, <laughs> you know, so, and, and that goes for, you know, everything, even movies. I mean, we talk about bad boys and how that movie could not be making made today. Uh, movies like, you know, the bad news bears, you couldn't make the fucking bad news bears today. Right. And they tried yeah. to with Billy Bob, Thornton, Thornton yeah. and it was so watered down it didn't even resemble the original movie to me and you know that's what i miss about the 70s and the early 80s in all media and all art is that people just fucking said what was on their mind and it and was yeah, real it, it was the honesty of yes yeah listen yeah my baseball coach was drunk and called us all sorts of horrible names <laughs> yes smack us around 
and that's just what it was. And yeah. I, oh, well, we're just not going to address it because it, it doesn't look good. Yeah, like, I yeah, mean. Be honest. Fucking here it is. I mean, in the Bad News Bears, you know, they're saying, you know, he's going through the, the lineup of kids on the team, not the coach, one of the other kids, Tanner, and he's using racial slurs through the whole thing. And then last night, doing Bad Boys, same thing, you know. Uh, Sean Penn's character comes into the cell and he says, you know, he says he's Irish and his cellmate goes, oh, great, I'm Mick. And he's like, yeah, it's my name. Just happened to be Mick O'Brien. But I mean, you know. <laughs> Breaking down like, those walls. But these, yeah, thanks, right. mom. Thanks, but, mom. <laughs> but this is real exposition. This is how people speak for the right or for the wrong. And that's why movies and music of the 70s and the 80s have a very authentic <clears throat> feel to me that we do not get now. And I, I need to just point out something. This is pretty much like uh, uh, an album that kind of describes the turmoil of the day. Yeah. We're two songs in and we're already discussing life yeah. problem. That right. is a sign of a phenomenal album where we're yes. not two songs in and we're already discussing topics that are affecting today. Yes, so. it's provoking us. Kudos. Kudos. Yes, it's 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 demanding conversation, and I love that. I go. love that. Feet go. My score just went up a little. Mine too. Yeah, yeah mine too. My, okay. Mine's kind of going up every track so far. Okay. It's uh, okay. it's crazy. Uh, no, same thing. I mean, I I love this. I love his fucking voice all over this album. It's just insanely good. Um, but, but I see this, you know, kind of like a little uptick here, a little bit of a happy note. Hey, what's happening, brother? You know what I mean? Like, you know, we're getting into it a little bit here. And uh, and knowing the reasons behind it are great. But how about the bass lines in these guys? <sighs> two for fucking two. Oh, this man. is insane. This is insanely good. Monstrous bass. It's nine yeah. for nine. Bass lines are great. It's going to be nine for nine. But yeah, I was just like writing my notes. I'm like, wow, two, this is just killer. This is good stuff. But where did they find two guys that played this like um, unusual and like uh, personal of a style of bass playing? Like I hear the if you told me this was two different guys, I'd tell you you're fucking crazy. No way two guys play this style like this. Like these are signature licks and sounds. Yeah, they, well, were, right. they were both here, funk brothers. Ahead. They were both funk brothers from, uh, you know, the Motown uh, stable of musicians. Both right. those bass players. Uh, Ed, what did you say? Yeah, and it's funny because uh, Bob Babbitt's white, and he's listed as the one of the most soulful bass players ever. No fucking way! This guy is white yeah. playing this bass. No fucking way! Yeah. Holy shit! Uh, wow! Yeah. Yeah. Kudos James to Harris him. is black, and he's a phenomenal bass player. I mean, oh, a beast of a player. Yep. Well, there you but, go. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. I actually, I, it's funny. I later on, I'll say something about the Funk Brothers. So good, so good. Well, like Michael Jackson said, it doesn't matter if you're black or white as long as you can play those four strings. Okay, uh, number three, Flying High. So this is a cool track, and this one sounded a little different to me right off the bat because Marvin's vocals are layered on this one. Uh, there's an obvious double track going on here, which I really, really, really like. This is probably one of my favorite vocals on the album. Um, there's also a very interesting snare drum that they sprinkle in throughout the song that is produced very, uh, I don't even know what to say about it. It was just, it's very original, let's just say. Um, and then we're going to get more of this, like, and I just call it this love boat synth. 
I, even though I know it's not a synth, but it just gave me that feeling of like being like, you know, eight years old, seven years old, watching the love boat. Like it just felt warm and familiar to me as a kid that grew up, you know, in the seventies and the eighties. So yeah, this album felt very familiar, even in spots where I was unfamiliar with the music I was listening to. Dave. Yeah, this one was written by Marvin by himself. Uh, its title was a tongue-in-cheek reference to the United Airlines uh, commercial slogan at the time, you know, flying the friendly skies. Um, and then we we took the flying high kind of literally. This song is about a junkie addicted to heroin. Nice. Uh, many war vets came back addicted to heroin due to the easy access of uh to it in that part of the world the music is atmospheric without a strong beat providing that floaty mood that might accompany such an experience dave have you guys been noticing what's going on in san francisco with the open drug market and you know they're handing out you know all the paraphernalia they need to do you know fentanyl and all that they're giving the uh, Are they trying to thin out the population? Well, it's, it's really trying to keep it clean. They're trying to keep it clean, yes, but yeah. they're also it's it's like a zombie apocalypse there, and it's really sad. Yeah, and you know, and again, this album sparks these fucking these discussions. Like, is it you know, you make it easy for people to do drugs, and they're going to do drugs, but at the same time, you know, it just you know, it just it just stirs up so much. Like, oh, I want to just talk about everything, you know? So, yeah, it's all good, man. Um, Ed, what do you got? Or Dave, did you talk about it? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm all done. Norma Ray, Norma Ray, Norma Ray. Okay, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so this song comes right in off the, the previous song. But what I like about it, it sounds like it was accidental almost because the drums and bass in the beginning – are kind of deconstructed, like someone's just noodling around. But then as the noodle keeps going, it starts to develop the structure. And I really love that. Uh, You know, it just sounds like someone just hit record and it evolves into this flow. And then you throw Marvin's voice over it again. It's angelic. It's just absolutely angelic. Uh, The bass-centered focus of the song is uber jazzy-influenced. And I find it hypnotic the way the bass blows, the note choices, just great. Once again, the lyric and melody delivered with perfect execution. Agreed. You know, I, I only bring up the San Francisco thing there because, you know, I lived there back in the 80s. And I just remember what a beautiful city it was. And just, oh, man, it's like magical. Fucking the Bay Area. just And just what's happened to it is just like, it's shocking. So if you're interested, go on YouTube and just, you know, YouTube some. There's plenty of people doing YouTube stuff and just, wow, man, it's really, it's crazy. B, what do you got? Yeah, and people think the strip is fucked up. Yo, go, not, even go down. <laughs> not even close. Not even close. Nothing's close to San um, Francisco right now. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, Dave, I'm glad you brought that up about heroin because I didn't really know that, what this was about. But my first listen was like, is this about weed? Are they getting high right now? Like, what's going on? <laughs> um, they were getting high the yeah. whole time they recorded the album. There yeah. was, a, there was yeah. a lot of weed happening, but yeah, <laughs> oh, this I'm is... sure it was. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. Either way, it's cool. And, and Des, I was glad you brought up about the layered vocaling because I want to ask you guys, was this part of like a soul and like R&B type thing back in the like late 60s, early 70s where they would kind of do layered vocals like that? Or or is that just something that he did to to make a point? Dave, it was definitely there, I think. Uh, it, I don't think it was as prevalent as it is, especially these days. Yeah. But I think with, you know, back then, I think everyone was experimenting with how to make something sound bigger and better. And with the analog technology back then, you would just keep layering. I mean, look at the Beatles. You know, they would do it where they would – they did everything on a four-track. Then they'd bump the four tracks down to one track. So now you had three tracks available. You take those three tracks, bump it down to one track. You have two tracks available. And you would just keep stacking them to get this big monster sound. Um, you know, and I'm pretty sure the Beatles kind of was one of the first to do it. But I could be wrong. I don't know. Dude, isn't that yeah. crazy, Ed, that that's like those albums made on four tracks? Like before I got my DAW system, I used to have a fucking, a real 24 track, like giant 24 track fucking, which I bought for like nothing. Like this thing would have been like five grand back in the day. I bought it for like fucking 800 bucks. And I used to fucking have to bounce tracks. Like I'd be like, a 24 is just not enough. Yes. Oh yeah, <laughs> I had a little Tascam 8 track. Yeah, I had one of those too back in the day. This was actually a Tascam 24 track. Very nice. Very nice. Sitting in my closet if there's any buyers for it. Okay. Uh, Fee, talk about it, baby. I, I pretty much did. I mean, I like the song. It's it's okay. You know, like it's it's good, but not as good as the first two, you know, but it's but but this is good. I, it was enjoyable. Nice. I mean, honestly, guys, I, I found this album more and more enjoyable each time I listened to it throughout the week. As except for I. one song. Yeah. Except Definitely. for one song Definitely. for me. And it's, well, all right. track four, Save the Children. Okay. Um, so this would be the track. <laughs> um, we get some busy Morocco drums behind a very strange spoken vocal mirrored by a basic repeat vocal. Yeah, I did like the female vocals that they sprinkled in on this one. I kind of wish they had added a little more of this throughout the entire album. Cause and maybe they did and I just missed it. I mean, I'm not sure. It was a very deep album. Um, we get some nice brass and the outro was nice. I like the outro of the song better than the middle and the beginning of the song. Um, uh, but this one was not for me. I did not really enjoy this song. I enjoyed some some snippets of the song, but overall it didn't work for me. Dave. Well, we got some more great bass playing here. Uh, lots yeah. of percussion. And Marvin accompanies himself alternating between uh, speak singing and crooning. It becomes almost freeform jazz at, at one point. Um, and then we come back to a tight funk pattern to wrap up. And the song provides a message of saving the children while also having kind of a cynical edge uh, with lyrics like who, uh, who really cares, who's willing to try to save a world that is destined to die. Dave, did you and Fee and Ed, I'm going to put this out to all of you guys. Did you guys want to hear like a couple of jazz guitar solos on this? Something like like some big boy growing up jazz guitar. Like I think it really would have fit on this yes. album. Yes. I don't it, think I necessarily want to hear an individual solo so much as I would would have liked to hear it in the background. Yeah, some noodling. Some noodling. Yeah, some noodling. Maybe a little yes, noodling, in, but yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, I didn't need like big guitar solos, but I did want to hear some like grown up, mature, big boy jazz guitar that would have elevated this for me. I almost didn't hear hardly any guitar on this, to be honest with you. And I read in the notes that there was guitar. I was like, really? Where? It's funny because I actually bring it up in my notes now. (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, So... uh... You all done, Dave? I took a gummy. I don't even know if you got to end. Did you talk about it? (laughs) My turn. Okay, go ahead. Talk about it. Uh, Yeah, so this song transitions from the previous song without a break in between. It opens another phenomenal bass line and beautiful backing vocals. And then a story being told. It's it's like it, it reminded me of those movie scenes where it's just spoken jazz, you know. Like you have this jazz music and it's just spoken word. Yeah. You know, as a song. Uh, but I love it. You know, it's do I think it holds up to everything else on the album? No, this is definitely uh, not the strongest compared to the rest of the album, but it's a nice change of pace. And, and I like that about it. Uh, musically, though, I find jazz, R&B, and Motown have some of the best musicians that think uber creative with yep. how they work with each other. And as simple as the guitar sounds, in these songs, because it's a lot of just chord strumming and stuff, uh, it's full and has a lot of surprises. Uh, but like you mentioned, I wish there was more individual noodling on top of it. Uh, I think it would have added a little more. And I also wish there was a vocal melody instead of all spoken word. I think a, I think this would have benefited from a little more singing intertwined with the speaking or maybe like a spoken chorus with a singing verse or vice versa, something like that. Yeah. Uh, to, I think it would have just made the song a little better flow wise. And I'll bet if you isolated these guitar tracks and listened to the, just the guitar tracks, I'll bet there's some next level shit here. That's very oh, hard it, to play. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very I bet there's layers that you can't even tell are there. And I wish like you that he had just gone with the um, melody singing of these verses. And then, like you said, maybe for dramatic purpose, added the spoken thing on maybe just a couple of hook lines that he knew were really good that he wanted to stamp, you know, like, "Mm," but not the whole thing. It becomes, just gets a little played out at the end. Kate. Yes, that's exactly why it gets played out because it was just overdone and And it drove me nuts. I could only listen to the song twice, like once to make sure I didn't mishear it. The second time was to make sure I didn't mishear it after the first time. Yeah. And it was just like, even where it picks up on that outro at the end, like I really like that, but, but it wasn't enough to make it even an okay song. It was just played out. And then you add the fact that I just fucking hate kids. So, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I do. They're just little underdeveloped fucking stupid humans. Like just saying dumb. Saying dumb. The mini versions of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But okay. <laughs> so that ends side A. So if you are listening to the podcast on vinyl, flip it over and take a look at my ass. I'm super excited today because Fee is going to share a story. And I just can't wait to hear this fucking story. But before he does, I'm just going to give you a funny little thing that happened to me. I went to karate today. And um, one of the women that trains there, she's really nice. She's super friendly. I hadn't seen her in a while. 
And she was like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, good. And she's like, how's your podcast going? Talking about, hey, did you ever see that movie? I'm like, oh, it's going good. I'm like, but I'm doing a, a music podcast now, Breaking Vinyl. She's like, oh, I love music. You know, what's it about? And I kind of told her, you know, I break down albums with these three clueless dipshits. And she was like, oh, I love it. She goes, what's it called? I said, Breaking Vinyl. So she pulls up her phone and, you know, we find it and she clicks on it. And she's kind of scrolling through the episode. And she goes, oh, Pyromania, Death Weapon. I love that album. Uh, she knew what she was talking about. She's like, did you know those aren't real drums on that album? I said, I did. And we actually bring it up in the episode. She goes, I'm going to listen to it. I'm like, great. And then all of a sudden I realized that I divulged that I had a rubber vagina <laughs> in the episode. <laughs> and I banged this rubber vagina and I, and I, I blew it out. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> That's not going to be awkward next time I run into this woman. Oh, I can't wait for the follow-up story to that. <laughs> I know. I'm going to have to just be like, I made that shit up for uh, shock value. No, no. <laughs> no, I didn't. Story. Okay, so everybody, this is groundbreaking moment on Breaking Vinyl. Fee had to ask permission to tell this story from Ed, who granted him permission. So I'm excited. Let's do it, Fee. Break it down. And headline with the uh, with the title of the story, please. All right, title of the story. Uh, I just I always refer to it amongst the people who know as Smash or Pass. Okay. Um, I was working in this middle school one day a week, so I knew all the kids there, and they asked me to cover this class. So I go in, and I'm like walking around working with all the kids in this class, and I see this one kid, pretty large for a sixth grader, probably like six two, like two twenty five. Uh, African American male for a sixth grader, right? Sure. Uh, he, I see him walking around with his phone, and he's going up to like girls, guys, and he shows them their phone. He says something, and then he, they're all like shooing him away, like you know, get the fuck away from me, man. You know what are you doing? So I finally hear him when he goes up to this girl, and he goes, "Smash or pass," and shows the phone, and I'm like, "Dude," and we're gonna call the kid Joe just for you know for story's sake. I said, Joe, is that appropriate? And he goes, no, no, no. I'm like, all right, man, go sit down. You know, go sit down. I didn't think anything of it. He didn't do it again. The classes are only an hour long. So we get out of class. The end of the day, I go up to his case manager. I'm like, hey, just so you know, Joe was kind of going around showing his phone and saying smash or pass. And, and the guy's like, ah, again, I'll talk to him. I'm like, all right. Well, the next week I go back and, and Joe's not there. And I'm like, where's Joe? Well, it turns out this fucking kid was going up showing nudes of himself to people and going smash or pass. Holy shit. Oh, I no. like it. <laughs> yeah. So he's showing his fucking big old dong fucking going, walking up to girls, guys, didn't matter. He just walked up to every kid in the class and just goes smash or pass, smash or pass, smash or pass. Holy and just shit. showing naked pictures of himself. And he got expelled from that school. Yeah. Holy shit, dude, that's great. And the funny thing is, is I used to use that same technique back when I was in the Bratz at parties, <laughs> only I didn't have a phone. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> we, were in a, we were in a party down in like Alston or something, and somehow my dick got out. And fucking somehow a kid, a kid from right. another band was there. It's a true story. You can ask Nick Stone. Dude, no one wants to see your fucking dick here. Um, so I don't know, whatever. Okay. You look at him and go, smash your pass. Yeah. Smash your pass. <laughs> and he blew me. <laughs> Good story. Good story. I love it. All right. All right. Hey. Good story. 
Oh, boy. All right. And if anybody out there is interested, I have 8 by 10s full color. Track number five. <laughs> you just slipped that in under the radar. Glossy? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. So there was a – I got drunk one night, and my dick somehow got out at band practice. And um, my guitar player, Nick, took a picture of it. This was um, back uh, before we had cell phones. So he took, like, a hard copy of it. And he blew it up and actually hung it on the wall to bust my balls. But I thought it looked great. So I left it on the wall. I'm like, this is great. Just leave it. So my wife, my current wife, goes and she's like, ah, she like tears it down and like, you know, puts it away. So to this day, I'll get a text every once in a while of the picture from Nick. <laughs> I'm like, show it around. I'm like, show it around. I have no shame in my game. Man, does, it's it's probably a good idea that you don't really drink and like do drugs anymore. Like, it's probably a good idea. A, yeah, fucking insane, insane yeah. back in the day. But yeah, there are. You're uh, still insane. <laughs> yeah, but but my dick is in my in my sweatpants. So yes, it's awesome. yes. Okay, it's uh, a different time, Des. Different. It time. is a different. It is a different time. I mean, we were at a bar one night, and some guy dared me to pull it out and put it in a fucking pitcher of beer. And the bartender goes, "His dick touches that beer. You're all fucking out of here." Okay. Uh, track number five, God is love. Uh, so this is what I was referring to when I was listening to it as a roller rink jam. Do you guys remember going to the roller rink? Oh yeah. <sighs> Loved it. Loved it. Love the roller rink. Um, roller rink jam. Marvin delivers a nice dual vocal again that really works. And this one is like a true dual vocal. Like he is singing with himself, throwing in some, harmony and some melody this is so this one by far is my favorite vocal track on the album i loved it again the bass is fucking exceptional on this and this is what this one in particular god is love this is one that i really really wanted a guitar solo i just i thought it would have like elevated the song like not noodling a solo but we didn't get it dave what do you got well, we flow right into this one. We have two tracks of vocals weaving in and out. Pretty straightforward lyrics promoting love based on Marvin Gaye's faith. Uh, before recording this album, he was very depressed due to many factors, including his friend and colleague, uh, Tammy Terrell, passing away at the age of 24 in 1970. Most notably, they performed Ain't No Mountain High Enough together. Nice. Uh, concentrating on a more mature music as heard on this album and his faith helped him through these troubles. Nice. Everybody have faith. It works. Ed, what do you got? <laughs> uh, yeah, this, this, uh, like Dave said, another transition from the previous song, but I think it's a pleasant surprise in this case because it, it it adds to the flow of the song. And honestly, it sounds like one long song, but it doesn't feel long. It just feels great. That's like, what she said. <laughs> but I'm <laughs> sorry. Like, like, it almost makes the previous song a little better. Like, the fact that you don't flip over vinyl these days, you, it just going from that into this, I was like, oh, okay. Well, the, the song changed that I realized I looked at my iPad. I'm like, oh, it's a different song. I'm like, wow, it, it's it's great how it improved the previous song. Um, but it just, it feels good, relaxed, attentive. 
you know, the, the song just, it, it brings out these wonderful feelings, I think, in you. Um, this itself is a short song. But again, beautiful bass line. But this, the, the focus is more on the piano. And I think the melody on the piano really just adds something to it. It, it just brightens it up that a lot of the previous songs didn't have. And it's, it's, it's just another masterpiece, in my opinion. And you, oh, you nailed it, though. Doesn't this album just take you back to a time in your life? Like it just, it's, it's a snapshot of the 70s. It just is. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for his, crazy as the world was then it just this makes you realize okay the world's burning down around us but you know we we there might be something we could do about it but right now i'm going to have a little bit of a bone boner and uh smoke it up and just feel good dude as crazy as the world was then (laughs) and burning down around you it was nothing it was like this was like a day at chuck e cheese the 70s compared to what we're like we literally have a front row seat to the end of the world like we're lucky (laughs) Like we're lucky. We're gonna we're gonna see it through. Like we the four of us are gonna actually witness the end. It's amazing. Fee. <laughs> While we're doing it's... this shitty podcast. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh shit. It's fucking possible, man. I you know, I'll tell you just as a little aside here, uh right before everything shut down for COVID a few years ago, I saw Dave Matthews band played one night out here, really small venue. And uh, it was kind of like a kickoff to their, you know, spring summer tour and so difficult to get tickets. I got really lucky, got in there. Great fucking show. Good time. A week later, the world shut down, you know? Oh yeah. Well, here we are. Fast forward a few years later, Dave Matthews is playing one night, small venue, same time, you know, March 1st, Las Vegas. And I'm like, shit, man, is the world going to end in like two weeks? Like what's, what the fuck's going on here? You know, like. A little weird fucking time for you. Yeah, a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm not going this time. Fuck that. I'm not doing it. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I mean, just just crazy stuff, crazy times, and they were. Um, but yeah, God is love. I I like it. It's okay. Uh, you start bringing Jesus into my music, and it, it knocks it down a peg for me. But ah, you know, fuck, it's man. okay. Come on, what's wrong with Jesus? Uh, I love Jesus. That popped it up for me a little bit. I, I get what you're saying, feet, but yeah. I don't feel like it's like him singing with religious tones and stuff like that is him yeah. singing about it for him and just speaking in general. I'd have a problem with that if it was pushing it on anybody, right. but it's not. So I think it's kind of a nice spiritual uplifting thing that just, I'm not a spiritual person. So no, and, th- and, that, and that's whatever. why I like it and why I don't yeah. hate it. Like if, if I yeah. felt it was pushy at all, I'd be like, fuck you, get it off. Of yeah, my, yeah, yeah. You know, gotcha. but yeah. Yeah. Nice. Just okay. And now we're talking about God, man. This album is fucking, it's fucking, it's boss, man. And yeah, I mean, come on, Jesus, God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, it's out there and fucking look for it, people. Look for it. You need it now. Okay. <laughs> Track number six, Mercy, Mercy Me. Come on, guys. What are we going to say about this track? This is a fucking classic for a reason. This thing is fucking diesel all day long. Beautiful vocals built on top of an amazing rhythm section. This is a fucking incredible tune. And the production on this one, this is again, this is one of those albums where, you know, the production is what it is. It's 1971, but this one's produced really well. Like they were like, this is a fucking hit. 
let's let's produce it up a little bit more. And I love it. And I'm glad they did. Dave. Yeah, this song is credited with promoting awareness of ecological issues before the public outcry over them had become prominent. But we won't hold that against them. <laughs> hold it against them. We need more of this. We're destroying this planet. Uh, okay, he's brilliant. Sorry. Brilliant. I'm on so, my fucking uh, soapbox today. <laughs> so I uh, Jack- hey. Score keeps going up with yeah. my dick out. <laughs> okay. Go, Dave. Jack Ashford played a long tubular wooden block during the song. Uh, that's that, um, you know, what you think might be a snare, but is is this uh, with his hand cupped over a hole in the hollow block. Ashford achieved a tremendous echo. Uh, a sound that Marvin Gaye had been searching for. Soon after recording the album, the one-of-a-kind block was lost, meaning this would exclusively belong to this album, to this song. Uh, Marvin wrote the whole song himself, sang and played piano on it. Uh, Wild Bill Moore played the tenor sax solo. Uh, Marvin paid Mr. Moore himself to come in and play sax on the album uh, because the record company thought it was too old-fashioned for that uh, kind of sax sound. Uh, song is fantastic, great groove, great strings, very laid back. And then the last thing added to this song was a piece of equipment that Marvin found at the Sound Factory studio, a Mellotron. You can hear it tagged on at the very end. Uh, he added this instrument to the master tapes without anyone knowing, not even the engineers. So that's that kind of weird keyboard sound you hear at the end. It's a Mellotron. Hmm. I'm bidding on that uh, wooden hollow tube on eBay right now. It's up to $3,000. All right. <clears throat> okay, Ed. I don't know why you want that wooden tube, but let's just say, hopefully, for not your standard inappropriate reasons. <laughs> if I was bidding on it, it would be inappropriate. Go. <laughs> ah, mercy, mercy me. God, another perfect song. This groove has a less active bass line with the guitar. Uh, with the guitar in more of a basic drum percussion and I'm melting in my chair as I listen to it. Uh, I find the song to be short, beautiful, and full of emotion that makes my skin tingle in the best way. Uh, The ending is very different to the rest of the song, almost operatic with uh, some of the vocals and the ahs and stuff. Uh, It's very cool, and I actually don't think I've ever heard that ending because the radio always fades out before it gets there, so... I'm yeah. glad that we listen to this and, and I get to hear that ending because it's a nice change at the end of the song. Oh, it's such a great tune, man. Holy shit. Hey. Oh, definitely. Total playlist on this one. Um, this is obviously one of the ones that's been covered a lot with, uh, I think Robert Palmer did a pretty popular cover in the eighties or something like that. But, uh, mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you guys a question and I'm going to tell you my, my thought on it, what it might be before. And I don't know why I didn't just look it up. Honestly, I'm just, stupid for not doing that but sometimes you guys talk about people being in the pocket or musicians being in the pocket and i felt like during like musically during this song there was such a groove going that it was just really infectious like you can't help but get into it you know Mm -hmm. does that have anything to do with it or no yes oh yeah these are you know top top notch musicians who are you know the the very top of the mountain of of funkiness and soul and you know these guys are creating the groove that you know makes your booty move yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah 
Yeah, and you can also hear and see with an athlete or a a musician or anybody is in the zone. Like, you're writing fucking mercy, mercy me. You're in the fucking zone. And it's going to bring out the best in your performance. And yeah. So that is what it means when you say in the yeah. pocket. It just means you're in that groove, in that zone. Yes, in that, you're in the like, zone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone's functioning yeah. is one. And, yeah. and it, it, it's when all ideas. of a sudden. Yeah. You can't not move when everyone's, you know, in the pocket. Yeah. And it doesn't matter the style of music, whether you're just bobbing your head, you're dancing, right. or you're headbanging, you know? Yeah. It, it's it's all the same, just different types of music. Yeah. You know, yeah. you've been in one of cool. those writing sessions where you're bouncing ideas that just, like, you can't come up with a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> nice. What's going nice. on here? That's what's going right. on here. Well, uh, either way, I felt that I felt it on this song probably the most on this whole album. Like, this was in that in that just groove for me. I was like, wow, this is totally, good. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Track number seven, right on. So this one, the piano stuck out immediately to me. It was a change of pace on the album. It just sounded different than the rest of the album. It was a traditional piano instead of the the synth I thought I was hearing instead of the voices and whatnot. Um, really, really nice. And the bass on this track in particular, I don't know why it stood out to me so much, but the bass on this one's fucking like off the hook. It's... Uh, and then we get a little... Ron Burgundy on the jazz flute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Holy shit. That's exactly in my notes right there. Exactly in my notes. Yeah. yeah badass, man. He's standing on the table to fucking giving me the jazz flute. And I loved it. We got some solo. We got some noodle. It wasn't a guitar. It was a flute. I was fine with it. I fucking loved it. Dave. Yeah, this is very 70s. In fact, this record likely greatly influenced many recordings of the 70s to follow Uh, more messages of taking care of your fellow people and treating them with love and respect can't argue with that being good message to put out into the world Uh, the music is of course great i could do without the uh huero the uh, comb sounding percussion instrument that that was a little over the top for me Oh, I loved it. <laughs> no, but I loved it too, guys. But I just wanted it to be mixed into the mix, like gently. Yeah, and they could almost have subliminally hold that back a little bit. Yes. Um, the flute solo was actually played by classically trained teenage Dana Hartwick, who worked hmm. playing sessions for Motown. Uh, she thought she didn't play well and reportedly didn't listen to this for years. Uh, then she was pleasantly surprised when she took a listen to the final product. This was a kid playing this flute. No shit. Yeah, it's amazing. Amazing. Wow. Wow. Yeah, you know what's funny? I really, I loved the way that that comb thing added that bit of like timing and percussion to the song. It was really cool that. And you almost hear some like uh, versions of that, like in maybe uh, Appetite for Destruction here and there, but they just didn't know how to feather it into the mix and use it sparingly to have the effect that i think they were looking for but i like the idea ed my first word after listening to this song was fuck yeah (laughs) that is super smooth groove i mean it's like a fresh sheet of ice oh the i thought it was a washboard pan to the right uh for some reason it gave me that uh I can't remember the artist that goes in the summertime and the weather is hot. Um, You know, with the little jug and the, you know, on the washboard. Uh, 
I liked it. I thought it added a nice little change. The piano and flute on top of the bass line <laughs> and drums were dynamite. dynamite. Oh, my God. The way the strings come in, oh, it's freaking nasty, man. Yeah. Around the three-minute mark, the song groove takes a turn, and it absolutely stole my soul, the way it changed. So uh, good. Then again, at the five-minute mark, it changes again <laughs> to bring the emotion down. And again, it works well. And then at the seven-minute mark, <laughs> it changes for the last time to a more upbeat arrangement and closes the song out with a great piano and flute. I was a little worried when I saw the song was over seven minutes long, but it doesn't feel long at all. It keeps you vested in the song. And I, I thought it was a three-minute song. It was so yeah. good. Dude, it is it, really well done. Until you just said that, I literally didn't even put in my notes that this was a long song. I would have never... If you had said, how long was this song? I would say 340. Right? It's over seven minutes long. Holy shit! Okay. <laughs> Pete, what do you got? Yeah, this was another one of those ones I was pleasantly surprised with and, surprised with and just enjoyed more and more as the week went on. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said the Ron Burgundy flute solo because that's all I could <laughs> think of. I was fucking cracking up listening to this. Like every time I got a little bit something different out of this one did you guys hear some weird like female moan or something going on in the back a little bit like in, just enough to be like oh yeah, that's lots different of layers, you know lots of layers yeah um either way playlist it was this is fucking good like i'm not deleting this album off of my phone after this uh you know after this week like i do with a lot of our albums like so, which album yeah. in particular are you talking about Finn? <laughs> Well, well, we'll start with the dogs. Okay, that's all I needed to hear. Okay, perfect. Any any chance I can give you to fucking shit on the dogs tomorrow, I'm not going to pass off. Okay, track number eight, Holy Holy. Yeah, or is it Holy Holly? Okay, Holy Holy. Uh, holy, 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 Holy. This song, this is a candlelight dinner with a bottle of red wine and your best lady. Oh, yeah. It's smooth as velvet with a sweeping synth. Guess not. And a perfect brass section. It's so simple. It's so good. It's so smooth. I love it. Dave, what do you got? It was originally called uh, Holy Holy, spelled with H's, but uh, Marvin Gaye is a big fan of wordplay and altered the spelling to the more clever Holy, W-H-O-L-Y, Holy. Uh, the message here is consistent of love and Marvin's faith. Uh, more great strings here, arranged by David Van de Pitt, uh, performed by the string section of the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. His arrangements permeate the whole album and gave it such a distinct sound. And the uh, his contribution to the album was such that he was given credit on the album cover, first in Motown history. Wow. And fun fact, Marvin Gaye was a uh, Scrabble champion. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> no. Not, okay. not with this billing, he wasn't. Yeah. Okay. Oh shit. Uh, Ed, what do you got? Oh my god, Des, unbelievable. Ah, <laughs> uh, holy, holy, wow, this cracked your soul. <laughs> it transitions quickly from the previous song, and the music comes down to a slower pace with a very simple groove. I really don't know what to say about the song. It's very spiritual, and I'm not usually into that. But Marvin's voice is just hypnotic. Listening to him sing in the fantastic musicians behind him, it's a masterclass in music and song. 
it, it just the song blew me away. It's a great song. Nice. Yeah, Scrabble is a game I am unable to play. I know the rules. Obviously. I know yeah. the rules. Yeah, we're well aware that you can't play. It. So, I, you know what? Yeah. We should set up a Scrabble championship game between you and a fifth grader. <laughs> I, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't go well for me. Uh, it was funny. So my wife was like, why does your phone? Because I'm always like, how do you spell like potato? She'll be like, just put in P-O-T and it, your phone should spell the rest. I'm like, no, it doesn't work. Because like when I'm in a rush, I'll like just spell words the way I want to spell them. And, and I don't have time to like, so I'll just like, you know, when you like just click on it. So it just like logs the word. Like if you're trying to like, you know, spell like asshole or whatever, and the phone doesn't want to do it. So it'll give you like three oh different. My God. So and then you just hit asshole and it'll go through. So I've done that so many times with my phone that it no longer can spell properly. So it just gives <laughs> me. broke spell check. Yes. It just gives me the versions of the words that I have stamped into the phone now. So my phone is as dumb as I am, honestly. They Pete. should make a reality show of you. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. They do. It's called Breaking Vinyl. Pete, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Wow. No, I, I mean, and I'm with you on this to a point, which is why this song's okay and not like great for me, though, is that like it is it is super spiritual. I'm just not into that stuff at all. But a lesser singer and lesser musicians would drag this down to like played out for me, but it's just, it's okay. It's above average, you know, because it is who it is and how they're doing it, but just, just okay. Mm. Yeah. That, that's a real important in real important fact in point that you made there. Lesser singer, lesser musicians. This song doesn't work. Right. So yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. Wouldn't be able to carry it. <laughs> there are so many different corners of the room to, discover in spirituality that I just, mm, it's like a hobby for me. Like I love to take a fucking edible and meditate for two hours and see how because you're in the 12 step program does deep into my mind. I can get and how like, ugh, there's so many different ah, experiences you can have searching out these fucking different ideas. Track number nine, inner city blues. Um, so I swear I could hear the needle in the groove of the vinyl on this song. Like I wasn't listening to it on a record player, but I could hear it. Like, I don't know. Did they do that on purpose or did it just did sound you, like that? Did you take an edible at the beginning yes. of your listening? Oh, okay. Yes. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Taking edibles at all times now. <laughs> oh, no. um, so this super cool track, um, such a great baseline again, really strong vocal melodies on this one. I thought it was a really nice end of the album. I hope is this an end of the album? Yep. This is the last track. Okay. Cause I was nervous for a minute there that I didn't listen to the entire album, but yeah, I loved it. I thought this ended this album out beautifully, just really nice choice. I thought they laid this whole album out actually really well. Dave. Yeah. This final track comes in strong. The song depicts the ghettos and bleak economic situations of inner city America and the emotional effects these have on their inhabitants. Uh, great bass riffing by Bob Babbitt. Uh, Marvin Gaye uses his voice like an instrument for much of this track. The last minute becomes a reprise or a reprise. I'm not sure if that's uh, the right pronunciation of what's going on, bringing us back to the beginning. Uh, it's a great ending to wrap up the album. Reprise. R-E-P-I-S-E. Reprise. 
Nelfie's shaking his head. No. <laughs> Forgot the R. Oh, the fuck the R. Oh, the R is silent. Um, no, it's not silent. <laughs> it's literally reprise, not reprise. Okay. Yeah, Ed, what do you got? Oh, for God's sakes. I love you, Des. Hang on, Dave. Who played bass on Right On? Uh, let's see. Seven? Yeah, that was Bob Babbitt. It was it was evenly split. James Jamerson was uh, track one to six, and then the rest of the end of the album was Bob Babbitt. So was Bob Babbitt the white guy? Yes. Yeah, seven, eight, nine. Oh, yep. man, he might have been the better bass player. Super funky. Yeah, real good. <laughs> so good. I can't believe that. Holy shit. Good for Bob. All right. Ed, talk about it, baby. Uh, Inner City Blues. This song opens with just a piano playing one chord over and over again with a kick drum. It sounds like a beating heart to me with the blood flowing. Like I can, I literally hear that and just feel my circulatory system moving. Uh, then this absolutely epic bass groove and tone come in. Oh my God. I'm totally going to mimic that sound and steal it and put it in my effects. It is huge. I loved it. Uh, the lead vocal uh, has a harmony over it, and it's a really great change. Uh, I was happy to hear it. Uh, the lyrics and melody are, again, focused on problems of the time, and the importance of this can't be stated enough. Uh, it's a beautiful song. It was one of my most favorite songs on this album. Yeah, it was Bob Babbitt time. Holy shit, Fee. Yeah, like, it, it is crazy how some of the issues of the time are still poignant and relevant today 50 fucking years later you know 53 52 years later it's insane uh you know trigger happy policing and all of that like the lyrics uh one thing i kind of noticed throughout the album is that if you weren't paying attention you might miss the message you know because it's so smooth and it's so you know like enjoyable just to just to listen to you know um but really cool um i love the way that intro builds up i i think that was phenomenal uh yeah, playlist track. Very cool outro with that sax playing. Great way to end an album. So do you guys think we could call this a concept album, Dave? Yes. Fee? Yeah, they that, he does. So yeah. Ed, mm-hmm. no? You're not feeling concept album? I guess, yeah, I guess technically it is, but it yeah, just it doesn't feel that way, but yeah, technically I guess I mean I didn't think about it till just this moment because I mean yeah. talking to the Me album, neither. we're we're discussing how you know how short the uh, spaces between songs and how some are like grooving into another one with some, you know, street spoken talk ambiance. It's just kind of starting to feel like a concept album to me, maybe without even trying, you know, which this album had. It didn't feel like it was trying to do anything. It was just doing it. So cool. So cool. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's it. We broke down the album. Uh, f- fucking phenomenal, right? Great breakdown. I thought it was. I thought it was a really good discussion today. Mm-hmm. Little grown up with some, you know, some pee pee talk. I liked it. <laughs> um, and now it is time to release <laughs> the bonus track. <laughs> All right, this week's bonus track was requested by one Fred Sanford and his son of the L.A. area. <laughs> He writes, guys, when I'm not messing around in the junkyard, I love to listen to Breaking Vinyl. 
and I would love to hear you guys review Ghetto Life by the great Rick James. So, for me, Rick James does not get enough credit. Rick James, fucking Rick James, man. This song is a jam. Everything is killer from the bass to the lyrics to the signature Rick James vocals. The outfit, the video, just yes. Uh, Song makes you want to get drunk, do coke and fuck my wife. It's pushing 79.9 watts. Hooyah! Dave, what do you got? (laughs) Yeah, this song deals with many of the same issues as what's going on, but not quite as gently or as smooth as Marvin Gaye. Um, You might know this song from Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Nice. (laughs) But it comes from uh, Rick's 1981 album Street Songs. Killer drumbeat opening, signature Rick James sound throughout. Uh, the song features backing vocals by The Temptations because bass vocalist Melvin Franklin was Rick's uncle. Uh, the song contains the great lyric, one thing about the ghetto, you don't have to hurry. It'll be there tomorrow, so brother, don't you worry. Uh, so my score, is. I love Rick James. Unfortunately, his, uh, you know, some of his personal and professional problems have overshadowed his, uh, you know, great talent. In a uh, good way. <laughs> My, Definitely not. My, Go ahead. My score is the same as the year it came out, 81. Nice. So we're all hearing this one the same. Yeah. Ed, what do you got? Oh, no. Yeah. He's shaking his head. <laughs> this is definitely classic Rick James grooving lyrics. Very synth basses with lots of layers. It's crazy out of control as Rick James was. There's something he had that just makes you move, feel exhausted, and kind of creepy, sometimes in a good, sometimes in a bad way. Uh, yeah, it, I liked Rick James a lot more before I saw the documentary okay. on Rick James and realized how just much... Debauchery! A, forget debauchery. <laughs> He's a fucking criminal. Okay. The, the fact that that guy's still not sitting in a prison blows my mind. But musically yeah he he was a musical genius uh back in the day i gave it 72.3 watts nice i mean ed a man has to relax feet what do you got on this <laughs> Relax <laughs> with cocaine lsd beating up strippers raping people murder yep. sure sure yeah 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 he sounds, yeah, sounds like he'd be right at home here in 2023 <laughs> feet go ahead a little bit no i mean honestly like when Rick James plays anything, you know, you know, it's him instantly, you, you know, automatic. I'm not a huge fan, but I totally respect what he does. You know, I like some of it. I don't, I don't like some of it. This was just above average for me. Um, but how deep are those, uh, like the yeahs in there, you know, and they're like, yeah, you know, so like, deep. how deep is that, you know, um, which was kind of cool, but kind of annoying to me at the same time. So I gave this one a 61. Nice. Uh, as deep as the Mariana Trench. Can I get that right? <laughs> Mariana's no? Trench. Okay. Yeah. Man yeah. of the world. Yeah. Like a big brain over here. Yeah. Okay. Um, Ed, will you please calculate those scores? Tell us how many watts this song is pushing. All right. Rick James' song, Ghetto Life, is pushing a solid 73.55 watts. Fee, that drink is not undoing whatever you did last night, just so you know. It's 
might make you but, feel good, but it's not undoing the damage. I, I don't think I I don't think I drink as much as you think I, I do. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think you're a fucking alcoholic. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> only when I'm with him. I, I know yes. you're an alcoholic. You're a bad influence. <laughs> uh, just for the listeners, neither of these guys are alcoholics. They're just fucking dipshits. Dave, go ahead. <laughs> All right. So Rick James comes in on the Breaking Vinyl bonus track chart at number eight. Uh, right in between uh, Dirty Loops, Rock You, and uh, just above the Plimsolls, Million Miles Away. Nice. I love the obscure chart, too. Like, every time you read off the names of the songs, I'm like, I've never heard any of those. <laughs> what, what's that? <laughs> I don't know those songs. Okay. that's. I guess that's where it belongs. I keep getting emails from the guy who... Uh, who picked the fucking Asia song. Like literally now we're talking like four five, six over the last, like since we've done it, like, like he'll send me like pictures of fucking like a article on the guitar player and like how he won an award for like that album. He'd be like, you know, like, it's just so butthurt that I'm like, that album sucks. Fuck that album. And I shit on it on Groundhog Day. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Sorry, Mark. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's a great album. Uh, I love Asia. Not yeah. necessarily that song, but I I take Asia. <laughs> yeah, I could it, I could take it or leave it. All right, let's do some favorite songs. We'll cut some people up, and then we'll do our final thoughts. So my favorite song on this album, obviously, is Mercy, Mercy Me. It's so fucking good. I mean, yeah. And the one I would cut, Save the Children. I mean, it's cut and dry. There it is. Boom. Um, I would remove Marvin Gaye and replace him with Rick fucking James. I want to hear that album. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, hey oh. Okay, so there it is. Woo, uh, what the fuck? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why not, right? We're reviewing <laughs> Marvin Gaye to you removing Marvin Gaye. <laughs> right. I don't want to. What the fuck is wrong with you? I just want to hear this album with Rick James. I want to hear him talk about the children. Oh, Jesus. No, you don't. No, he's you not don't. Saving the, he's not saving the children. It, no. that, that's going to have a different no. title. Yeah. He's going he's gonna to make don't, them. Don't I'm not it. even going there. Don't do it, Dave. Just talk about it. Go. All right. So my favorite track is What's Going On. It's the heart of this album. Everything else on the album is an extension of this song. True. Uh, I would cut Save the Children. It's not bad, but if I got to pick something to go, it's gone. Um, if I had to replace, I would actually, um, all the musicians are top-notch, high-level pros. No need for replacement. Uh, I would add uh, Smokey Robinson. He was a good friend of Marvin Gaye's. Uh, maybe some of his smooth vocals on some backups would be great. Nice. I like what you did there. And I mean, it wasn't as fucking like gutsy that. is my pick but i like what you did there <laughs> gutsy yeah dave, dave nailed it there dave absolutely nailed it ed go ahead yeah all right my favorite track what's going on i agree dave that sets a tone for the record and everything else is based off that uh as it should be that song is just epic uh i would cut save the children only because it's spoken word and i wish there was singing involved or mixed in there somewhere uh, if I had to replace one member, uh, I'm sorry. This is just, I, you can't Motown record studio band titled the funk brothers is one of three perfect musical bands ever created. And in no particular order, they are the funk brothers, the wrecking crew and the co the studio combination of Lukather page and Picaro. 
those three groups defined generations and cannot be changed, in my opinion. So what are you doing? I'm not changing anybody. No, Fuck no, them. you put nope. Stevie, you put Stevie Wonder and Jane's Addiction, make something happen here. Yeah, because Jane's Addiction <laughs> sucks, and they needed an epic fucking person to All fix right. them. So Ed is replacing fucking uh, Marvin no. Gaye with Perry Farrell. I am no. not. I'm not replacing. Really <laughs> <laughs> not. Wow. Okay. Nope. You can't replace anyone in the Funk Brothers. Okay. Nope. How about can we just put Bob on bass for the whole album? Would you do that? I put either bass player on the whole album. They're both if you had to choose yeah. one, If you had to choose one to do the whole album. I, I think they should both play the whole album at the same time. Okay, there it is. Oh, man. There, there, you is. Go. Okay. there you go. That, that might be too bass. much. So if, I had to do, if yeah. I had to do something, I would be with Dave. I would add someone else to the vocals to just spice it up a little. Can we add put a Stevie, little different tone. Stevie Wonder on piano? Yeah, that'd be great. Sure. There you go. There That's you go. your pick. That's your pick. Feet. But I wouldn't remove anyone. I'd add someone. Yes. That's fine. We can do that. Uh, I always go down kind of a rabbit hole with these and start listening to other artists to figure out where I want to go. But obviously, favorites. What's going on for the same exact reasons as Dave and Ed? It, it drives the album. It is what it is. Save the children just sucks. Like I can't. I can't. <laughs> I, I fucking can't. But I didn't want to replace anybody, but I felt that the guitar, like it needed some, some guitar in there. It needed a little bit more. And I started listening to a little bit of Sly and the Family Stone. And Ooh. I felt that Freddie Stone getting in there might have, might have done a yeah. little. Yeah, there know? it is. There it is. So, great, yeah. great pick. Nice. There it is, V. That's why you're yeah. here. Okay, good deal. Uh, all right, let's do some final thoughts and we'll score this thing. Dave, you go first. All right. So in September 2020, uh, Rolling Stone magazine updated and revised its 2003 list of music's 500 greatest albums of all time. The number one album on that new list was this one. It had been number six on the original list. Uh, The diverse panel of musicians and writers who voted on the list described this record as Soul Music's first concept album and one of the most important and influential LPs ever made. Uh, From what I read, it can be considered a song cycle due to all the songs flowing together as one cohesive work. Uh, Marvin Gaye plays in the role of uh, sort of a disillusioned Vietnam War veteran. Uh, The reason on his return, he discovers that the America whose values he's been defending is plagued by poverty, police brutality, drug abuse, abandoned children, urban decay and civil unrest. And we, we touched on this before. Not much has changed in all the years since, uh, but we can keep trying. This album is very laid back, but thought-provoking. Uh, Marvin Gaye's singing is some of the best ever. Check this one out. If you don't know it, my score is 77. Nice. Nice. Dude, so honestly, Wait, Dave, wait. Did you say 77? Yeah. Yeah, oh. I mean, let's, no, I mean, let's be honest. It's up it's, there. It's, it's up there, but it's not. I mean, it's a pro- the album has problems. I mean, it's one long song. It's missing That's a little a fire. It's missing a little energy. It's missing a couple of things they're going to throw this over the top. It's missing a few hooks. Missing a couple of hit songs. It doesn't mean it's not great. Minds me a little missing bit of... Missing a couple of hit songs. It is, yes. was literally rated the number one album of all time. That's because it was... It 19- has two of the most amazing songs ever written. It was 1971. But it's missing a couple of hits. It is missing a couple of hits. Um, 
Dave, how did they not make Pink Floyd the Wall version of this? How great would that have been? Like, you just saying it was giving me goosebumps. Guy comes back from Vietnam, you know, dealing with family life and, you know, the struggles of America. And Oh, my God, I'm taking two gummies and watching that movie <laughs> all day. Did you guys ever take acid and watch The Wall, Dave? No. Fee? No. Ed? No. I, I I did it, and not only did I do that, it was me, Hollywood, I, I, I'm sure she wouldn't care, I'm sure she's not listening, but yeah, we took acid and watched it in her mom's house, <laughs> like just tripping balls watching fucking Pink Floyd the Wall, so good, there were a few of our other friends there too, so cool, so cool, okay, uh, Ed, talk about the album and score the sucker. There is zero chance I'm going before you, because there's a specific <laughs> reason that you go first. You see what I'm doing here, right? I do I'm, see. I see right through it. I'm testing the field. I want to. I want to yeah. test the temperature no. of the water here on this album. No, no. Okay. I do not trust your opinion on music <laughs> okay. as far as I can throw you. So you need to send your score first. Okay, Fee, what do you got on this one? Oh, wow. Test. All right. I want to test your temperature. Uh, well, just. No, I don't want you to take my temperature. Ever. Everybody bend over. Um, I'm checking temperature on yeah. the album. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Uh no, I I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this a lot more than I than I thought I would. And you know, and I I'm definitely happy that we that we chose something like this. and like I can't believe what I'm gonna do to you guys next week after like doing this all week. But um but oh anyway, I I fucking enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more and more as it went along. My score even went up more as we as we listened today. Um, I'm going to give this one a 75, 75 watts. Nice. All right. I am going to give you my thoughts on this one. I mean, so if I was just 100% giving it a score just on the listen, it would be somewhere right around what you guys are doing. You know, 73, maybe 74. But, I mean, it's... You can't, you can't, it's all right to cut to the chase. This is an 80.1 because it's fucking this album and it's important. And it, and it, it stokes fucking conversation and it, it's a snapshot of a, of an era past. And it's just, it's fucking, yeah, it's that. Ed. I'm going to quit the show. Why? What's you wrong guys with 80.1? Have all this 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 album needs to be minimum 90. 80.1? 90 that's minimum. That's, that's minimum. a big score. Anything over 80 is a big score. I don't disagree, but think about this album and think about how this show went. Oh, it's okay. great. We talked about more things because of this album that had nothing to do with the album other than a topic. Yeah, it's amazing. And when has that ever happened? And look oh. at the scores that you've given to fucking albums that are just absolute garbage, <laughs> generic shit. And then here is something that actually spurs topical conversation outside of music. And you're like, 77, don't, 75. Don't act like we're fucking cultured on here. We're a bunch of fucking trash fucking rock and roll guys. <laughs> I don't disagree, but that's why I'm like, how are you not hitting this in the 90s considering how this day and show went? It completely threw everyone for a loop talking about this album. So you should all be ashamed of yourself. 80.1. Yes. My score. original score was 95.8. 
Go a hundred, Ed. Just do it. Nope. Go a nope. hundred. I'm not going to. No, it's, it's there's there's one song that, like I said, it the spoken word just didn't do it for me. But the fact that it spurred conversations and got us all thinking, or at least me thinking, I gave this a ninety-seven point three. Good. I can see why. I'm I not- absolutely. But I'm also more of a Motown R&B rock. I like music for what mood it puts me in or what mood I'm in and how it changes or brings me up or down. Uh, and Motown is always in my playlist. Uh, so, yeah, this this just this is a 97.3 for me. I mean, my 81, 10 of those points literally came from just concept, conversation, <sighs> and importance and not even on music at all. So I'm with you, just not all the way with you. Okay. Uh, Ed, will you please calculate those scores? Tell us how many Watts this album is pushing. Oh, what's going on by the great late, great Marvin Gaye should be pushing more, but is pushing a respectable 82.6. Watts. Dude, that's fucking That is right where this album belongs. No way. I agree. That's a good score. This That's album a good score. Needs to be minimum average ninety. Listen, I'm gonna re- I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal what I actually had written down. Sixty four point nine. Just so you guys know. Before we're just walking into this this podcast, that was my score. So that's how far I went up just in discussion. There it is. Oh, you're <laughs> we were in the same boat. horizons, Des. Broaden your horizons. I just did. I gave fucking Marvin Gaye album and, 81. And I will give you credit for going up from that pathetic score okay. to 81.1. I appreciate Thank that. Thank you. And I and I like the album very much. I did. <laughs> uh Dave, will you please tell us where that lands this album on the Breaking Vinyls Road? All right. Well, I I do didn't come up with the same score. Let's check everybody's uh Des you were Oh, did I have I did I put eighty one instead of eighty point one? Were you eight zero point one for your No, score? I was one point one, so sorry. That's why. <laughs> okay. I just want to make sure we have a consistent yeah. uh so please fix it, Dave. <laughs> okay. So Des was eighty point one, I'm seventy seven, yes. Ed ninety seven point three, and fee seventy five. All right, so that puts yep. us at 82.35 for the score and puts us at number 16 in between Junkyard's self-titled album and Prince's Purple Rain. Oh, I quit. No! Um, <laughs> um, it, it, are you telling it, me it is that the back. Junkyard album is higher than this? No, it's under this. It's under this. By one? No, it's it's above this by one and under Prince's Purple Rain by one. So it's between those two. Completely the, different genres of music. You can't even compare them. You can't even put Junkyard and Marvin Gaye in the same fucking planet. <laughs> okay. And okay. we have them right next to each other on the chart. That is my frustration. Listen, so what would you do uh, Van Halen, Van Halen and Marvin Gaye? That would be fine. They're both epic, iconic bands or figures or artists. Junkyard is not. Well, neither is Mr. Big. Okay. Right. I agree. I don't disagree with you at all on that. Okay. Okay. Well, they're on the same fucking list. Um, The list is fine. It's where they sit on the list. You mm -hmm. can't have people like Fleetwood Mac, Marvin Gaye, David Bowie, unless it's a real shit album that one of these artists puts out. And this is far from a shit album. Can and, and it's do where it is. No, oh, 
Fucking Christ. Listen, am I going to listen to this album or rap out of the cellar on my way to work or on my way out on a Saturday to go do a pizza run? Yeah. It's well, fucking it's rap because, all day. Right. But you're, right, a, no. you're a rock guy, but here's the thing. Would you change the channel if it went from rap to Marvin to this album? I listened to fucking Ice Ice Baby and screamed it as loud as I could on the way to fucking karate today. Oh, uh, you know what? I I'm willing to bet it, we would fucking do that album. And you'd fucking rank that higher than this because your fucking t- taste is fucking terrible. I've never heard that album. I just know the <laughs> one song, and it's fucking great. It's fucking no, great. Fucking so bad. What's better? Would you say fucking Slim Shady, Slim Shady, or Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby, Dave? I'm not really into Eminem, so I'd probably have to go Vanilla Ice. Fee. Yeah, I'm kind of with with Dave on that one, but depends on the mood. Ed, you guys are already a fucking tree. Vanilla Ice, his lyrics are cheesy. His fucking backing tracks are terrible. And he's fucking delusional. I would take Eminem any day of the week over fucking Vanilla Ice. You guys are out of your mind. (laughs) <laughs> the correct answer is Ice Ice Baby It's one of the greatest songs ever written Okay <laughs> I'm, I'm literally calling out of the next Fucking three months worth of shows After that comment Oh god Fools are acting up because they're high on the eight ball Whatever the fuck he said I love it Okay, um, Let's end this thing um, Fee, you have next week's pick. You've already given us a little, uh, a little tickle that is going to be something uh, controversial. So tell us, what are we going to be listening Uh-oh. to all week? Well, well, this is a band that I find pretty divisive when I talk to people. Like people either really love these guys or really fucking hate these guys. And I got a notification somewhere, you know, on one of my feeds somewhere this week that one of their albums was turning twenty five, and I was like, holy shit, these guys have been around for like twenty five, thirty years. So I looked through the catalog and said, uh, one of the albums I kind of like the best of there, four or five that I know, uh, it's called Blender. So we're going to do Collective Soul Blender. Wow. I don't, it doesn't ring any bells. Collective Soul, give me the hit. Yep. It's, it's the, yeah. Oh, okay. It's those guys, right? Okay. Let your light shine down. Yeah, heaven let your light shine I like that song. I don't know. It's not on this album. Yeah. No, it's not. Oh, thank you. I saw these guys open for Aerosmith when they first came out, I think. And they were fantastic. They had no stage presence. They literally had concrete shoes, but their performance fucking sounded amazing. So you guys yeah. remind me of the singer of my last band. Like, let's do a Stone song for a cover song, but something nobody's ever heard. Like, okay, so why <laughs> oh, are we doing the it? Worst. <laughs> so that's how you guys pick albums. Ed's like, let's do Aerosmith. We're gonna do Get Your Wings. <laughs> toys in the Attic. What's wrong with that? Because yeah, we'll let's do Toys in the Attic. What, are we only gonna do one Aerosmith album? I mean, it's like oh, no, no. So no. Jesus. Okay, good. Say fucking guys. It's okay. <laughs> Uh, okay, Fee, and you have picked um, this album that does not contain their biggest hit. So, nice job. Correct. Okay. Uh, this week on Hey, Did You Ever See That Movie? We are breaking down Bad Boys. The 1983 version with Sean Penn, not the one with Martin Lawrence. So go over there, check it out. It's going to be a great pod. We're actually recording it tomorrow. So until then, take the music out of the sleeve and let the music breathe. I may let the listeners pick my pick next week. Maybe. 
go to the Facebook page. Just leave your choice there. And if I like it, I'll do it. And if I don't, you've wasted your time. Thank you. All right, guys. Uh, until next time, thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye-bye. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Later. <laughs>